Let's turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. If you need a Bible, uh, there may be one um, under the seats in front of you. Um, We try to get a number of them out there, make it easy for you to uh, follow along. We come to chapter 4 in the Gospel of Mark. We find here the very first parable uh, that Jesus uses. He uses a parable with a specific uh, purpose in mind. And uh, there are a number of parables. We find more of them over in the Gospel of Matthew. But uh, we find the first one here in Mark chapter 4. And uh, I'll read, and if you follow along. Up until verse 20, and again he began to teach by the sea. And a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. And then he taught them many things by parables, and he said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed, that some fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. And some fell on stony ground, where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up, uh, and, uh, sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some also fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced, uh, some thirtyfold, some sixty, some a hundredfold. And so he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, uh, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables, uh, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. And he said to them, do you, under- do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the seed. I'm sorry, the sower sows the word. Uh, And those are the ones by the wayside when the word is sown. They hear the word, and Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones stone, are sown rather, on stony ground, who when they hear the word immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word accept it, and they bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundred. And Lord, we thank you that you would entrust your word to us. 
And as we gather this morning, Father, we pray, Lord, that we would have open hearts, Lord, once again to receive, Lord, those things that you desire to speak into each one of us. Lord, as you know our lives, you know what we need to hear at this present time. And how we pray, Lord, that you would work by your Spirit this morning. Lord, remove anything that would hinder, anything that would distract us, we pray. And Lord, just grant to us, I pray, Lord, open hearts, willing hearts. Lord, just uh, ready to receive uh, and to act upon the things that, Lord, you speak uh, into our lives. I thank you for those that are here this morning, for each one of them, Lord. And uh, I pray that, Father, you would, Lord, now, Lord, reveal your truth. Lord, we thank you that you're the God who reveals mysteries, Lord, to your people. So, Lord, we need an open heart. Lord, we need understanding. And, Lord, we need to be able to apply that. So, Lord, we ask you to grant those things to us now. Father, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, we uh, entitled our message this morning, Insider uh, Information for You. Uh, we oftentimes uh, hear of insider information on the news, maybe in a negative kind of context, uh, maybe some politician uh, who has uh, some insider information because of some laws going into effect, and he takes that information uh, and he uses it for his own benefit, and sometimes uh, uh, it becomes the reason why they are removed from their position. They're not supposed to do that. But you see, for you and I, God gives us an insight. He gives us um, revelation, that is, on things uh, that would other, otherwise we would not know. You know, when you think about, um, you know, how God speaks into our lives, and not only initially, but continually, you know, through our lives as we go through different experiences of life. Uh, and, you know, for the person who doesn't really know Christ, uh, the fact of the matter is that life is so often filled with conundrums, difficult things to understand, you know, why uh, is this, that, or the other thing happening to me? And there's no way that you can make any kind of sense out of life unless you have, you know, God within your life. You need him in your life. He's going to translate, interpret for you. Uh, because life is filled with, you know, you think about it, many people go through life. And, and really, without, without the Lord, life has all these, it's sort of like a puzzle with miss, missing pieces. Um, because things can't make total sense. It's only really in Christ can we really have understanding and work through the difficult things because you and I are going to face all kinds of you know, trials in life and situations just like anybody else. But we can have resolution. We can have understanding. We can have peace you know, in the midst of the difficult things that you and I you know, have to face. And that's why we find you know, God's word coming to us and speaking to us in a continual uh, kind of way. Now, as we looked at chapter 3 last week, Jesus was by water's edge teaching. Uh, now we find that he's in a boat teaching, and everybody's, you know, on the land as the land would gradually go up, sort of like a natural kind of, you know, amphitheater. And, uh, and I kind of wonder, too, if maybe perhaps the subject of this particular parable, this section, was maybe in view. Uh, oftentimes, the sides of the uh, sea of Galilee were terraced for gardens and uh, where things were grown and so forth. And maybe as Jesus here is giving this principle, people are maybe looking out and they're watching somebody sow the seed. Uh, I think oftentimes probably many of Jesus' stories uh, related to something that they were not only familiar with, but maybe something that was maybe in view. And perhaps we find this one perhaps maybe was in view as well. At this point in the teaching of Jesus, 
he begins to use parables or parabolic teaching. And the fact of the matter is he begins to cloak his teaching uh, with these parables. In other words, the only way that you could really understand them is if you came with an open heart, with, an o- with, a, with a willingness to learn. Um, we find that uh, you know, there were those who perhaps maybe came just to see a miracle. There were people came uh, for all different kinds of reasons. We talked about that last week. Uh, I think to maybe follow Jesus, somebody thought perhaps maybe this was, uh, um, you know, this was a, a free meal ticket because uh, of the miracles and that you know, sort of thing. Uh, but it was only really those who were ever, ever able to really benefit uh, that really came with an open heart, with an understanding uh, to you know, be willing and accept what Jesus had to say. You know, Paul talks about this, uh, you know, about mysteries and things that perhaps maybe um, you know, only certain people can understand. And he says this here in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 2.9. He says, It is written that eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us, to the believer, through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. And you know, as we read the Bible, or as maybe perhaps we hear this morning, the Holy Spirit has searched our hearts. He knows exactly what we need to hear. And so when he speaks that word to us, that truth to us, we need to respond to that. Uh, I think we respond by accepting that, but I think ultimately we respond when we act upon it. Because the fact is that you can have an accumulation of truth and understanding about the Bible, about God, but it will never really benefit you unless you, by faith, act upon that. And, and that's what we find all the way through you know, life when, we, when it comes to God, when it comes to the Bible. You can know a lot of things. You can have a lot of head knowledge. Uh, you can know the Bible. You, know, uh, you can know it by verse, but until we really... Uh, not only intellectually ascend to it, but we need to act upon it. We need to step out, you know, in faith, you know, on what we have heard. Uh, in verses 14 through 50 in Second Corinthians chapter 2, he says this. He's speaking here about the natural person, the person who basically lives by logic. Uh, they may be very intelligent, but the fact is, without the Holy Spirit, you can't really understand the things that God speaks about in his truth. And he says this, he says, uh, but the natural man does not receive the the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. In other words, they seem foolish because they don't make sense. How many of us maybe, uh, before we came to Christ, maybe we read certain scriptures, or maybe we had a friend that that was a Christian, and they were talking to us, and it seemed as if they were speaking another, a, a, a totally different language. Uh, because the natural person, you know, it's not just a matter of logic or rationale. It's the Holy Spirit within our life interpreting those things that we hear. He says they're, they're foolishness to this to the natural person. Uh, nor can he know them or understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And again, it's the Holy Spirit that gives us insight, you know, into the truth of the Word of God so that we can really be benefited and enriched by it. Now, uh, as we pick it up here in verse 10 of Mark chapter 4, uh, we're going to look at basically the interpretation here. Uh, we find here in verse 10, the 12, he's with them uh, alone, and he's going to share with them and give them those particular insights. But here the thing is, we need to remember that as the child of God, that we have such great privilege. We are, we are so graced 
with privilege because God gives us an insight and understanding that the person of the world does not have. We have an ability uh, to, in a sense, understand divine mysteries. The Bible speaks about that. We, we see there are a number of mysteries that the Bible speaks about, and they will be to the unsaved person, the unregenerate person, the person outside of Christ. They will simply be foolishness. They will not make any sense. And it's only as you have the Holy Spirit within your life to interpret those. But again, we're privileged. We're so incredibly graced. That's why I think, too, we need to be patient with people. You know, we, sometimes when you uh, are explaining the gospel uh, or some portion of Scripture, there's that person looking at you. It's sort of the deer in the headlights kind of a, a stare they have. What, you know, what are you talking about? There's a story about um, uh, William Pitt, uh, who was the prime minister. This is maybe perhaps before he became a prime minister. And uh, uh, he was with a, a well-known Christian, and um, William Wilberforce uh, was the guy he was with. As a matter of fact, they were friends. And there was this uh, preacher coming to, to London. Uh, he was very well-known, uh, had a way of just making the gospel so clear. And so um, Wilberforce uh, asked William Pitt if he would come with him that night because Pitt wasn't a Christian. And so they sat right in front, and uh, w Wilberforce was just blown away uh, at this uh, great illustration that, he, that uh, the speaker gave of the gospel. And he was so excited because there his friend William Pitt was with him. And, uh, and so they're walking out, and uh, Wilberforce says to his friend William Pitt, he says, well, um, what did you think of that? And uh, expecting to you know, get this you know, uh, great response, and he said, he said, Wilberforce, I had no idea what in the world that man was talking about. <laughs> And, and that's the way it is. That's the way it is when uh, you don't have that, that on-board ability, you know, of the Holy Spirit. Now, I think also, too, uh, there is the work of the Holy Spirit, I think, revealing, you know, things to you before you become a Christian. You know, he gives you a big, basic understanding uh, of your need for Christ, you know, within your particular life. But again, there's only one way that we can really fully understand these mysteries, um, and that is, you know... Um, the work of the Holy Spirit, because we come to him, uh, we, we desire it, we, we want him to speak into our lives. And when you think about the truth in the word of God, it's life-changing. It is life-changing. It will radically, wonderfully change your life when you not only believe it, but you act upon it. It's not just believing it. A lot of people believe, a lot of people that will go into eternity without Jesus Christ, and that is a horrific thing to go into eternity without him, will understand and even believe that he's Messiah, that even believe that he went to a cross and died, you know, for their sins. But again, until we act upon that, there's no benefit, you know, within our life and within our particular experience. Now, he says to them, to you, it's, it's given to, to know these mysteries, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables. And so he's quoting here in verse 12, Isaiah chapter 6. And he says, seeing they may not see, uh, hearing they may hear and not understand, unless they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. Now, at first glance, when you look at this particular section here, that sounds kind of harsh. It sounds as if God doesn't want to forgive them. But we know that's not the character of God. Uh, we know that he's good, that he's gracious, that he longs uh, to bring somebody into relationship with himself. Remember, Paul uh, tells us that he's not willing that anyone, any one person would perish. And so we know that's really not the character of God. God longs to forgive them. But the way it reads here, it seems like uh, 
um, that he doesn't want to do that. And sometimes, you know, you find that the Holy Spirit will state things in the Scripture in a certain way that maybe conflict with our reasoning or understanding. And I think, that th- I think that's for a purpose. I think God wants us to dig. I think he wants us, you know, when you look, somebody one time said that the Bible's sort of like a gold mine. But in order to get the gold, you've got to dig for it. And I think that's true with the Word of God and the Scripture and the truth, that you really have to pursue it. You know, think of the things in life oftentimes that we really go after. You know, when we want something, man, we will, sp- we will go anywhere, do anything, spend any amount of money to procure that. But how important I think it is that we look at the Word of God like that because that's where the real benefit is because the truths that we receive from God, they're eternal. You know, there's a lot of, there's, there's certain things that are true that'll get you through this life and maybe help your life. But the fact of the matter is that's conventional wisdom. We need that wisdom from above uh, that comes to us through the Word of God. And these truths are eternal. Uh, They're a blessing that takes place within your life now, but they carry you not only through this life, but also uh, into eternity. Now, Matthew chapter 13, which is a companion passage here to Mark chapter 4, sheds light on this quote from Isaiah and clears up any misunderstanding. And I want to read there in Matthew 13, whether you want to turn there, it's verses 14 and 15. Again, it's a companion passage here to Mark uh, chapter 4, and we find Jesus speaking here uh, in verses 14 and 15, quoting here Isaiah. But we find here it's the longer quote. It's actually um, the full quote of what we find over in uh, Isaiah chapter 6. He says, In them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, That hearing you will hear and shall not understand, seeing you'll see and not perceive, for the hearts of this people have become have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, um, unless they should understand that their hearts should turn, that I should heal them. Now, as we read that, did you see the difference? The difference is very simply that uh, we find here over in Matthew 13 uh, that we find that the Holy Spirit revealing that these people have hardened their heart. They have closed their eyes. In other words, they have willfully and deliberately heard God's truth. And, and sometimes, you know, somebody can come and they can maybe, uh, I, think, I think perhaps maybe when somebody reads the Bible. I, I think there are a lot of people that read the Bible that find problems with it. And I think when, when somebody comes to the Bible with that predisposition, they're not going to get anything out of it. But when a person comes with a predisposition to believe and to hear what God would have to say and internalize that and receive it in their life. God's going to speak to them. That's why I would, you know, when, when, you, know, when you read the Bible, when you open the Bible, say, Lord, speak to me. Let, let your word resonate with my heart. Let it speak to my need. Let it give me vision. Let it give me understanding. I think it's important that when we come, open the Bible that we come with that kind of mentality instead of, you know, and I think sometimes even as believers, when people close up the Bible and stop reading it, it's because maybe they read something, they don't want to do it. That's what I think happens. A person reads something, it's like, you know, I don't, I don't want to do that. And, and that probably becomes the reason why they maybe don't read the Bible, don't open up the Bible anymore, and maybe even at a certain point, uh, maybe fall away from fellowship. Um, and that's why it's important that when God speaks specifically, and he'll do that for you. He will speak to your life if you're open, and willing to receive that. 
but also, too, it's important that we act upon it. That we not only ascend to it. You know, that's part of our educational model, okay? You know, we go through high school, we go through college, um, you know, postgraduate work, that sort of thing. And we, we're great on accumulating knowledge. But, you know, the Bible model when it comes to knowledge is not this Western. Uh, we basically have a Greek model. It's a philosophical Greek kind of model with the accumulation of lots of knowledge. You know, you ascend, you believe certain things. And a lot of times when we believe that and we accept certain things, we're like, well, I got that, okay? I'm just sort of going to, you know, put that away in a file somewhere. But, you know, biblically, and from the Hebrew model, it's, it's not only just believing or accumulating knowledge, but acting upon it. That's where it really becomes beneficial, when we act upon the things that God has spoken, you know, into our hearts and into, you know, our particular situation. So what we see here, uh, it's not that Jesus, not, he's not harsh. God is not harsh. He's good. He wants people to turn when they hear truth. But these people that he's referring to, they have closed up their hearts. They've said, I don't want to hear that. Uh, I don't want to do that. Uh, I don't want anything to do. Um, you know, with what God is, is um, requiring me to do. So again here, it's, it's self-imposed, uh, this condition. Now, parables are this. They're allegories. They're short stories. They're short stories that have a hidden meaning. But it's important that we understand the details. The details are very important. Look at verse 13. He says, do you not understand this parable? How will then you understand all the parable, parables? So the way that we interpret this first parable, I think, is very important. It's a key that the way we interpret all the other parables, because every detail has application. I was reading one author, a guy named Red Stedman, and he, he gave an interesting uh, uh, interpretation of verse 13. He said, verse 13 is like the Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone was a piece of basalt stone that, was discovered by a French soldier, actually. Uh, one of the empires that uh, Napoleon conquered was Egypt. And so the soldier one day is walking along the shore of the Nile River. He kicks a big black slab of stone. He unearths it. It's got three different inscriptions on it. And uh, the first one is hierog Egyptian hieroglyphics. But see, no one had been able to read hieroglyphics for 1,400 years. They had lost the art of re reading uh, Egyptian hieroglyphics. The second inscription was Egyptian cursive, and the third ins inscription was Greek. So obviously they were able to read Greek, um, and the Greek taught them basically what the, what the hieroglyph was, uh, and it opened up a whole, a whole understanding of what, you know, what was on the, the pyramids, what was in some of the caves, and so on and so forth. And so uh, Stedman was basically saying that this parable is sort of the Rosetta Stone, uh, of the uh, you know of all the parables because it's the first one and as we understand you know basically the details they are you know understanding all the details that's the key to understanding these particular little allegories and these short stories. Now let's look at the interpretation as we come to verse fourteen. Remember this: God's truth is like a seed, um, a seed that is basically at different times in someone's life. God's truth and God's seed is dropped into your life. For me, the first time that really happened was 1975. And it just happened sort of, and as, as oftentimes when God's working, it just sort of comes like it's out of the blue. Uh, like, I don't know what your experience was, but I was never ex waiting 
uh, or, you know, uh, anticipating God to work in my life. All of a sudden, God was there. He was just sort of there and revealing truth, you know, speaking truth into my life and into my particular situation. And his truth is, again, it's, 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 it's like a seed. This little seed that he simply drops within our life, within our heart. He says the seed, the sower rather, sows the word. So the seed is basically the word. For years I thought when I read this parable, I thought it was four different responses by four different people only. I always sort of put it in that kind of category. And I think it kind of limited the understanding of the particular parable. But I've come to see that it's four different conditions of the human heart. In other words, we can have this condition at any given time within our life. It's not just, in a sense, a condition maybe of an unbeliever, but it's also to the condition that we can experience as a believer and as a child of God. And, it's, and again, what it is, is four, it's the four different conditions of the heart, the soul, at the moment that God's truth is dropped into your life. That's why it's important. Because we discover as God's people, as we navigate through our Christian experience, God's always dropping some seed of truth into our life. Some insight. Some little revelation. You know, something that perhaps maybe, and, and, I, and as I look back over my life, there's been different times where he's, he's done that, and I wasn't sure it was him that did it. But it was a little seed of truth that sort of dropped into my life. And then another seed came later that basically confirmed that first little seed that he spoke into my heart and into my life. Because if God wants, you know, if we're not sure about that, he knows. But he'll confirm it. He'll confirm that thing that he speaks, you know, into our life and into our particular situation. And the thing about a seed is kind of interesting. If you've ever planted a garden and maybe you didn't buy the plant, you bought the little seed packet. I can remember we used to buy the little burpee uh, seed packets and we would start to grow something, um, you know, in the house long before the, the spring and the summer got here and, you know, you're kind of watering it and you want the right soil and all that sort of thing. And, and when you look at these little seeds, some of them are so unattractive, so small when you look at them. But one of the, thing about, one, one of the things interesting about those seeds, they have tremendous potential. They have potential to feed people, to re reproduce themselves. They have potential to bring a harvest. And the point here that we're saying is that the Word of God has incredible, unlimited potential. You know, God's Word is transformational. When you allow God to work in your life, when you open up your life to His truth, it has such an incredible, awesome potential. Uh, when you think about His Word, uh, there's a, one of the Psalms says that He sent forth His Word and He healed them. Sometimes you can just receive, you know, God's Word into your life, and it has the ability to heal you physically, emotionally, and especially spiritually. God's Word will enlighten us. It can enlighten us. It can give us maybe we're in a very difficult place. God's Word coming into your life will bring light into the darkness of your situation, giving you insight and clarity. There's a lot of things in life that are as clear as mud. And that's why we need insight. That's why we need enlightenment, you know, into our particular situation. His Word will give you counsel and guidance. One thing I've noticed 
in churches that teach the Bible, the counseling load is way down. In churches that don't teach the Bible, the counseling load is very high. Because why? The Word of God, if you're reading it, it'll counsel you. It'll give you guidance. And when you want to look at, the, when you want to look at a comprehensive uh, treatment of how beneficial the Word of God is, just read Psalm 119. Man, it's the largest chapter in the Bible, in the largest book of the Bible, Psalms. And the, whole th- the entire theme of Psalm 119 is the Word. It'll counsel you. It'll be your counselor. It'll be your guidance. You know, you're praying about a decision. What should I do? I don't know what to do. Go to the Bible. Say, Lord, speak to me. <laughs> Lord, give me insight. Confess your need of Him and His help and His wisdom. I mean, God's got incredible insight and wisdom. He knows the future. He knows what your life's going to be. He knows the perplexity you and I may have in a year from now. So why not depend upon Him to help us and guide us? And how does He do that? The Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and He applies it. That's why it's important. You know, you're making important decisions. You don't want to make important decisions without Him. You want His insight. You, you want His help. I, I think sometimes someone's tempted to not rely upon God for direction to decision because they think regarding the thing they're going to do, God's going to say no. And I think that's always the temptation to get ahead of God and to do something because you don't think if you pray about it, he's going to say no about it right away. So you make this decision to, to, to forge ahead. And whenever we do that, it's problematic. We end up having to reach, we end up going, we end up going back to start. We end up going back to that place where we have to trust Him. God has incredible insight and, and guidance and direction, you know, for us. But we have to, we, we access that by faith. We have to ask. One of the key words all the way through Scripture is what? Ask. Ask and you shall receive. You know, God has got so much, but we have to be willing and not anticipate, well, if I ask, He's going to say no. Hey, if the Lord says no, man, that's the ultimate wisdom. Because if God says no regarding a certain decision, you know what he's doing? He's saving you a lot of time. He's saving you a lot of money. Saving you a lot of stress, you know, within your life and within your particular situation. He knows the future. He knows it already. It may be very dark and obscure to us. And that's why we need him. We want him. We want to be, we want to be led by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God will always teach us through the Word of God. So important, so vital, you know, in our particular situation. Now, verse 15, uh, th- this, the persons that are, you know, or the situation, the condition that's by the wayside uh, represents the highway, and it's a busy highway. He says, where the wo- word is sown, when they hear, uh, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their heart. Now, this person may even be open to God, but what happens is you get too busy with life. You got too much going on in your life. You know, it could be the job, it could be business. And what happens so often with, with even with Christians is God gets basically pushed out of their life because they got all these other things. 
And, and yes, these things may be very important things. They may be responsibilities and duties and things that we have to do. But be careful that you don't push God out of your life. You need His insight. And, and again, one of the, the it's, it just seems legitimate because well, I'm busy. My, my life is filled with all these things that I have to do. You know, and a lot of times with God, it's, it's like tomorrow, manana. I'll, I'll catch up with God because I've got all these important things to do. And compared to God, these things can really be trivial matters. And I think we need to be very, very careful because Satan will work there, you know, within our particular situation. And again, I think the devil does work over time to steal away any blessing, even the smallest blessings from our lives. You know, just, yeah, you can be even a child of God and be so busy. You just don't have time for God anymore. Now, here's the second condition in verse 16. And this is, this is the seed that fell on the stony ground, hard ground, stony. When they hear the word of God, immediately they receive it with gladness. So again here, we find this response here is impulsive. It's a shallow kind of response. Initially, and I've seen this so, so often with people, that initially they're all blessed or happy about God, but they never get rooted and grounded in Christ. That's why it's so important that churches and ministries teach the Bible. They get so philosophical and psychological and just focused on news events and that sort of thing, current events. There's nothing more current than the Word of God. The church I was saved in, they're good people. They were, really, they were good people. They loved the Lord. And there was a whole bunch of us 20-somethings that were saved at the, roughly, roughly around the same time. And uh, it wasn't a, a ministry that was really focused on teaching. Uh, I can remember, you know, my, my pastor at the time, he was a good man, loved the Lord, no doubt about it. But even being there in two years, I recognize that he's recycling his sermons from the first year I was there. And it felt stale. And I can remember thinking about the time that God moved me from that church as I was just feeling hungry, feeling hungry. And, and it was time to move on. Um, and, I, and we did. But about 15 years later, there was a couple that was in that group of 20-somethings. You know, they made their profession for Christ. And I looked at them, and I thought, man, I thought that whole group was strong believers. About 15 years later, I ran into the wife of one of these, uh, one of this group. And uh, she was in retail. And Margie and I were, were shopping, and we saw her. And said, oh, and uh, oh, how you doing? Remembered her name and all that. And uh, trying to catch up. And then I just said it, and it just kind of came out. I said, "Well, how you doing with the Lord?" And she looked at me like this, and with all um, well intention, 
She said, we don't do that anymore. And I knew right away that they, they weren't saved. Because when Jesus Christ comes into your life, you cannot ever get away from that. You ne- you'll never say that. I don't do that anymore. If you're a believer and you're not walking with the Lord, you're going to hang your head. You're going to at least hang your head. You know, I'm struggling. But when you know Christ, you're never going to say that. It's like Peter. Remember when everybody walked away in John chapter 6? And Jesus didn't stop anybody. These were disciples. He didn't stop them. But he turned to Peter and, and the apostles. He said, will you walk away also? What did Peter say? Where can I go? See, that's the response of the true believer, the saved person. There's a shallowness here. They received it initially with joy and gladness, but they never grew in grace. See, we need to grow in the grace and the knowledge of who? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there's only one way you do that. You got to read the Bible. You got to study the Bible. We got to live the Bible. That's walking in the Spirit. Verse 17, and they have no root. There's no root. Remember, Paul said we need to be rooted and grounded in Him. In Him. It's Colossians, I think it was. Rooted and grounded in Him. No root in themselves, so endure only for a time. You see, that's where strength to endure comes from. See, the true believer doesn't just throw the Bible down and walk away from God. We've had some um, high-profile Christians recently make some decisions on social media in the last month. A big... uh, well-known worship leader, um, I think it was Marty Sampson, and then the pastor, um, I forget his name, but we, who was it? Yeah, Joshua Harris, um, and just walk away from Christ. Something's really wrong. As a believer, we may get beat up. We may isolate but you don't make that kind of profession to tell everybody you've abandoned the Bible, Christ, and salvation. You just don't do that. We have strength by His Spirit. And you know what the fact is, folks? Storms are going to come. We can't avoid them. Trials are going to come. Difficult times are going to come in our life, and that's why we have God. That's the only way that we can navigate through those difficult things. You know, Peter said this uh, over in uh, his first epistle, chapter 4, and listen to verse 12. He said, Beloved, he's speaking to, to, the, to the church, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to test you or try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Why is it that when we get into a trial, we always think it's strange? And he's kind of reminding us, this is, this is the normal Christian life. To face a fiery trial. 
He says, but rejoice. Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. Oh, may God help us and may God strengthen us. Um, you know, I was sharing this in first service. There's a lot of people in our society, even Christians today, committing suicide. And I don't want to simplify it because it's, 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 it's a complicated thing. There's many components to this whole matter of suicide. There's different factors. But I think one of the factors in this Western culture, society of ours, is that we are overly pampered. We're too pampered. We, we become too soft. You go into the third world. When people die over there, they die, they die from starvation. They're not taking their life. You know, this American culture is so softened and even so feminized men that when somebody comes onto the college campus with a, a different message, a Christian message, everybody runs to their little safe place. Oh, I don't want to hear that. Oh, don't hurt me. It's ridiculous. You see, here's the thing. Here's the point I'm trying to make. Is that Jesus takes the believer, you and me, through trials and difficulties to toughen us up. Because normally and naturally, we just choose for the easy life, the soft life. We don't like adversities. We don't choose them. But when God chooses that for us, because when he does, he knows we need it. So think it not strange. As a matter of fact, I think there's a whole other perspective and an attitude and a mindset that we're going to have an eternity when we look back at this life. And there is a divine perspective I think we can have now. Amen. But that, we're only going to get that divine perspective, I think, as we yield ourselves to the Lord and we allow His truth to get into us. And His truth getting into us will root out certain things that are of the, the natural. And it's a lifelong process, isn't it? It doesn't happen overnight. But this work of sanctification, working in us, you know, uh, what did Paul say in one of his, his, his epistles there? He's working in us to will and to do of what? His good pleasure. But it's not always an easy kind of thing. And I think, too, when he speaks about uh, when, when trials, tribulation, or persecution arises, you know, for the, for the word's sake, immediately they stumble or they're offended. And I think in the believer, it's a lack of growth and immaturity where a person is always getting offended. You, you know something I've discovered because of God's own work in my life? That there are things in us that have to be offended to death. They have to die. It's the, it's the immature, unstable, oversensitive person that's always getting offended at everything. 
God wants to toughen us up. That when people say things to us that we don't, that we don't like, there isn't this big titanic reaction, you know, within us. You see that today going on in the culture. Now, here's heart condition number three in verses 18 and 19. And I would just simply call this the overcommitted life. Just overcommitted to life itself. And these are the ones who are sown among thorns. They hear the word, but it's the cares of this world, this life, the deceitfulness of riches. I know how deceitful they are. And the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and that person becomes unfruitful. So they hear the word. They agree with it. But see, this person is driven by anxiety and, and uh, great concern and, and worry. They're over, they're over fixated on trivial matters. Distressing about everything. And you see, anxiety is the, the, the source of anxiety is fear. And, and the world can be a very fearful place because there's so many things that are unstable, uncertain. I mean, look at, look at when, you, when, you, when you think about the economic forecast for America. It's insane. $22 trillion in debt? The government has to borrow money just to pay its bills. And I'm not trying to scare you to death, but folks, it's a house of cards. There's a lot of uncertainty out there. And when it comes to financial uncertainty, everybody thinks, how, 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 how would we ever make it? Well, we would have to trust God, wouldn't we? We would have to trust the Lord like people do in the third world. You know, there's many Christians in the third world that don't know where their next meal is going to come from. <laughs> but if God has to have a bird fly in and drop something, he will. He did it for Elijah, didn't he? <laughs> and what we see in verse 19 is this quest. It's a quest. And here's how we call it. You know, in America today, and even in the church. Well, all I'm looking for is financial security. Now, we're not talking about greed, because there's a lot of greed out there in our world. But see, for you and I, for the average person, hey, there's this quest for financial security. But you know what happens? It ends up eating all of our time. And, and there's the issue of status. What we think other people think about us. And we can only have the best house, the nicest cars will do, and people's lives are full of stuff and they're unhappy. There have been times in my life where I thought, I, you know, that's, that's always the, the rub. You, you feel like you need this. You need this. And, and then you, you acquire it. You get it. And there's been times in my life where I've gone through these little acquisitions and after I got it, I realized it made me just more unhappy because I didn't need it. And the Lord was saying to me, hey, you don't need that. 
And I've gone through that a number of times. We need him. That's what we need. Sometimes, you know, we, the people, we just they work ourselves to death. And the fact is, we don't even need the money. We need time with him. That's what we need to cultivate. Our relationship with him. And again, this, this overcommitted life, you know what? Because you know what? Material things, the world, it will never satisfy us. And look in America today. Isn't there just this, over, this overarching discontent? I grew up with my grandparents. <laughs> I look at their life. as Never owned a car. Never owned a car. They lived in a bungalow. My grandmother would raise chickens and ducks and for eggs and that sort of thing. And, and you know, as I look at it now, like they, they had this ramshackle life. But they were happy. They were happy. They went through the Great Depression. They knew, depre you know, they knew deprivation. They knew trials. And, and you know, I wondered too, what does God have ahead for America? What does he have ahead for America? There may be some really serious trials. Uh, there are serious trials coming. I, I, whether they're going to be in our lifetime, I don't know. And that's why we need to, we need to take hold of Jesus now. You know, again, we're always saying tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. I'm busy right now. We need him now. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of deliverance from the other stuff. And again, I think verses 18 and 19 really describe American culture today. Okay, last but not least, verse 20. Remember, the, the last shall be first. These are the ones sown on good ground. They hear the word, they believe it, they accept it. They bear fruit. 30, 60, or 100-fold. See, this is the receptive heart. At any given time, it's not just initially. This isn't just salvation. But this is an ongoing condition that when God at any given moment speaks his truth into our lives, that we're receptive. And we not only believe it, because again, we do that. That's, a, that's part of our cultural model. We ascend to it. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Are we act on it, acting on it? That's what we have to employ on a regular basis. Action. Remember James said, faith without action is dead. Doesn't benefit. It only benefits when we hear the truth, God's truth. And it, and it does challenge us. Okay, I'm not diminishing that. God's truth oftentimes challenges us. But when we step out, you're stepping on solid ground because the Lord will assist and bless and he will be with us as we do that. Now, you may measure fruit by the amount of good deeds done, and I don't think that's the issue because you know what? Everybody has got a certain call upon their life. 
and their life is going to pr produce either, you know, one of those degrees. You got Billy Graham, Luis Palau, um, other great men of God. They'll probably get a hundredfold. But, but here's the thing. What is the potential? What is your full potential? That's the important issue. Is to live up, and again, whoever you are, God's created you. Got a, got a, got a ministry for you. Got some place where he wants to use your life. It's just to be all that you can be for him. And I want to close with Galatians chapter 5 because I think a better way to measure the, our fruit is by the motive. What's our motive? Why do we do what we do? And in 522, Paul says this, but the fruit, what's produced the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. That's why He saved us. That's why He created us. <laughs> you know, our life is so committed to other things. You ever notice how we can be? We're so sharp with people. Harsh, unforgiving. You know, we have our agendas. We have our goals and our agendas. And when people around, them are not, around us are not really behind us, we're, we're bugged at them. We're bothered with them. This is the kind of fruit that God wants to produce out of our lives. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Self-control, against such there is no law, nothing outlawing any of those. <laughs> and those that are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to do that. Lord, we thank you for the insights, Lord. Thank you for the heavenly wisdom. Lord, the things that you have shown us, help us, we pray, to embrace them. Lord, to allow you to do in our lives. Lord, we know that obedience is simply cooperation with God Almighty. And we know that your plan for us, Father, is good. Lord, our plans oftentimes just, they crumble. They fall apart. They leave us used up and empty. But your plan is, is rich, it's good. It's fulfilling, it's satisfying. And I pray for us here today, Lord. Help us, we pray, to fully experience that. Not to settle for something lesser. For Lord, you always have the better and the best. And Father, I pray this morning that perhaps, Lord, we need to freshly commit ourselves to making you our priority. To, Lord, believing your word and acting upon it. Lord, grant, I pray, that faith and that power, Lord,
that power, the power of your Spirit, Lord, to make us gentle, to make us loving and kind, to make us to be gracious people. For, Lord, these are the things, this is the fruit that people need to taste from the church and from our lives. And for that, we will thank you and give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen.